Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, April 9th at a special time, morning edition, afternoon edition, of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay. Not okay. That 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so... Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Today's very special show, Showtime, The Big C, which premiered last night. Great show it was. Joining us today, Emmy and Golden Globe winning actress and star of the Showtime series, The Big C, Laura Linney, and actor, writer, comedian, creator, and executive producer of The Big C, Darlene Hunt, and kicking it off in the Survivor Spotlight, Bradley Schmidt, he's a childhood cancer survivor of neuroblastoma. He's a chiropractor, a publisher, and author of Where Does the Fight Come From? How I Survived Childhood Cancer. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of, you guessed it, Stupid Cancer. Also known as the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. Online every day, 24-7, 365 at stupidcancer.org. We are not your father's cancer society, but we are. Bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. So welcome aboard another fun and exciting romp through the hay on today's Stupid Cancer Show where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes. Don't forget iTunes. Download us for free. It's automatic. It comes to you every week as we broadcast live from the chemo deck our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. And a final reminder that the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat room during each and every broadcast. So we invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And with that, our self-ingratiating applause. Yes, this is our favorite moment, when we applaud ourselves. Yes. With all the canned applause that we can muster. So we have uh, some very special announcements to make, Lisa. We do. First of all, we would like to thank the following folks for sponsoring 
this broadcast of the Stupid Cancer Show. Drum roll, please. Do we have one, Matthew, queued up? Um, when all else fails, just get my tongue going there. Wow. Okay, you can kill that so we can make these people heard loud and clear. Thank you very much. Sponsoring today's show is Genentech, Hanson's Natural Monster Energy Drink, Seattle Genetics, Sigma Tau Pharmaceuticals, Prometheus, Metzger Law Firm, Eli Lilly and Company, Volkswagen, that's right, Big Bad Volkswagen, who sponsored our road trip recently out to Las Vegas for our big OMG Summit, Amgen, and Spencer's. We would like to thank all of those good folks for helping to sponsor today's broadcast of the Stupid Cancer Show. We like sponsors. Yes, we like sponsors. Sponsor, good. <laughs> we love our sponsors. Huge round of applause. Um, Kenny? Well, hello. This is Mr. Kenny Kane. Kenny Kane in the like house. A, feels like a festival with all those sponsors. I know, I know. And Reverend Dr. James Manning in the house. What up, Matt? Welcome back, sir. Matt. Just barely awake, but welcome. Hi, James. And we have two special in-studio guests. We have uh, Tim and Bobby of the Backyard Heroes Band. Gentlemen, uh, they're waving on the radio. Yes. Yes, they're waving from afar. But Check one is out. a survivor, and they have their New Jersey base, but they have their first New York City gig coming up at a place in the Upper East Side. You so, going, Kenny? Um, I could go now. <laughs> on the spot. No pressure. If I get on the VIP list. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, open bar, limo. Well, um, they're laughing their ass off for the listeners out there, which is good. Yeah. Anyway, it's great to have them in the studio. And uh, we we were off last week. We were. This is our first show back after our spectacular OMG Summit in Las Vegas at the Palms. Thank you to the Maloose. The uh, fifth annual OMG Cancer Summit, which we've been talking about for eight months, has right. come and gone. Come and gone, and it was fantastic. We had Will Reiser got our special award, our Extreme Survivor Award, and we had a lovely Q&A with him. He's screenwriter, of course, of the film 50-50. He's Seth awesome. Rogen's best friend. He's awesome, and I love the story about Seth Rogen having stepped on his catheter bag yes. and tugging at his nether region as he motioned, <laughs> motioned his hand down there to tell that That's story. quality friendship. And I was going to say, what are best friends for if they can't step on your catheter bag when you're moaning in agony three days after having an enormous tumor removed from your spine? That's quality. Funny how Seth didn't want that in the film. I, I, yeah, like that part got chopped <laughs> that, on the floor. That, that part didn't quite make it into 50-50. I wish you should have mentioned that to Seth when I see him next time. <laughs> yes, and we had Wendell Potter, who is... He we, rocked He the was house. unbelievable. I think he was really floored. He had never quite addressed a group of this age before of young adult right. survivors. And to remind folks, he is the former head of corporate PR at Cigna and Humana, Big whistleblower who just said, I can't do this job in good faith anymore. I'm writing all these policies that I feel will dupe the American public into how warm and fuzzy these insurance companies supposedly are. He testified in front of Congress. He did an hour with Bill Moyers, Rachel Maddow, Keith Oberman, and he came to our summit as a keynote speaker, author of the book Deadly Spin. Deadly Spin. And he was absolutely wonderful and very inspiring. I think well, it was kind of cathartic for him just as much as it was for the audience. I think that's very true. Well, the, you, you heard the serendipity of his story. He, he was initially inspired to uh, really take a, a soul-searching look at what he does for a living because of a 17-year-old young adult cancer survivor. That's right. right. Really amazing. Natalie Sarkeesian. Yes. Thank you. Someone remember something for me. I think that was Cher's original last name, Sarkeesian. <laughs> was it really? Cheryl and Sarkeesian. Really? This is what happens when you cover the entertainment world for, <laughs> for all right. these years. To the Google! I have, I have, yeah. You were correct. I, um, I, I think I am. Yeah. It's frightening. It's frightening that I know that. 
Why? I'm actually quite, I'm trembling right now. At your first you know, step. of all the other really important facts that I could have in my head, <laughs> they're not there, but I'm carrying around Cher's la- original last name. What's my date of birth? Oh. <laughs> December 20-something. Yeah, it's too, it's too recent. I don't want to know your date of birth because it's way too recent. Yes. You're too young for it this. It's December 85, though, right? 86. 86. Okay, I was close. You were born after Back to the Future. That is correct. <laughs> after the last time the Mets won. Yes. Lisa and I will <laughs> shed a tear. <laughs> well, I will say we had 552 attendees yep. when last finally tallied. We had representation from 40 states and four countries. And we had literally, it was a two-and-a-half-day event, but people came earlier and people stayed later. It was really like almost like a, a three-and-a-half or four-day experience for many of the attendees. I, um, for those of you who are not in attendance, we will be posting um, photos and videos over the course of the next couple of weeks. Really epic, just amazing. I, I can't, I'm not hard, cool hard to describe. Yeah, hard to describe the experience of being there. But if you did attend, thank you for being there. Thank you for promoting the, uh, the conference. Please blog about your experience. Please share what you felt about being there. And please expect a survey coming your way in the next couple of days to ask you what sucked and what didn't. Uh, your feedback helps us build OMG 2013 on the moon. And these are surveys. People get a lot of surveys all the time. They right. pop up online, and half the time I don't fill them out because they're time-consuming, and you think who is actually going to read these. We will actually read these yes. and take them very, very seriously. So anything from I would like to see this seminar or something more interactive or to minutia from we need more bathroom breaks. I mean, really, nothing is off limits. You should please give us lots of feedback about the summit. We will read all of them. We will take them seriously, and we will try to incorporate as much as possible next year. Well, I mean, that, that's the, that is the truth. OMG 2012 was built because of feedback from 2010 to 2011. Right. And, you know, every year we try to just get it better and better and better, and um, I, I think we did a really good job this year. And I think that <laughs> one of my favorite moments, Matthew, that you described is, we were in this place, the Palms. Rain is the hottest, one of the hottest nightclubs in all of Las Vegas. The oh, line, this, thousands yeah. of people were online to get in this nightclub rain on Saturday night when we were there. And lo and behold, here comes a fleet of young adult cancer survivors who get to cut the line and go first into rain as the Palms had set Not up. Not just cut the line, cut the VIP line. Cut the VIP line, this, yes. This, this, yeah, this long parade of over 250 OMG attendees wearing their cancer badges on them, <laughs> literally flocking right through with like their 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 chins up with pride <laughs> that we finally get something. <laughs> to, and the the other people, the lay people, the citizens on the VIP line, who are you people? What are you? I paid good money to be here. And that was just an awesome awesome win. You but know, where, the you, price of admission sucks. You know where I was? Yeah, James. Thank you. Kenny was buried inside a Jameson bottle. No, I was I was in bed. Well, yeah, were, I, I I do I do. I, mean, I, I will testify. Kenny did sleep a whole lot more than the average person <laughs> after being on the road. I think for all, well, the, the, the survivors were troopers who made it up to rain and yeah. and uh, cut it, cut it loose that night. That was great. And the road trip, Kenny, comment. Uh, incredible. Thank you to Volkswagen again for uh, a once in a lifetime experience. Check everything out at stupidcancerroadtrip.org. We had a lot of fun making videos and uh, making house calls to our local chapters. And again, for those who aren't familiar, Kenny Volkswagen gave us a beetle that Kenny and our documentarian John Sabia drove across the country, stopped in a dozen or so cities, met with survivors, and we filmed all of it. And so you can check it out yep. online. 11 webisodes or 10 webisodes? Or or something crazy like that. It was ridiculously amazing. It was all awesome. right. Well, with that... 
Should Let's we get, get to our Survivor yes. Spotlight? Yes, we should. Maddie Z, go ahead. All right. Brad Schmidt was born with neuroblastoma. Born. Born that way. With neuroblastoma next to his left lower lumbar spine. He had three operations, chemo and radiation, all before the age of three to deal with his tumor. Not only did he survive the surgeries, he almost died from a sepsis in- <laughs> infection. That's, he, that's humorous, Matt. If you're going to do it, do it right, I suppose. Um, his ability to walk was compromised with the removal of the tumor. He learned to walk with a limp and avoided the wheelchair. With scoliosis as a side effect of cancer, because it's the gift that keeps on giving, of he is course. now 43 years old and has never, thankfully, not good, had a relapse in cancer. He wanted to attain a degree in chiropractic as well as becoming a nationally ranked, nationally ranked racquetball player. He's the author of a new book. Um, where does the fight come from? How I learned to survive childhood cancer. I'm sure I described that incorrectly. Please welcome to the show the one and only Brad Schmidt. Brad. Hi, Brad. Hello. How are you? Hello, sir. Hi. It is a real pleasure to have you on the show. You came highly recommended from your, your colleague, uh, Mr. Dr. Schroeder, sir. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the it. Former guest on the show, Matthew. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, from Hola Doctor. Hola, yeah. An yeah. amazing organization. Um, mm-hmm. He ranted and raved about how amazing you are, your story. Um, it, it's it's very easy to to say you, you survived cancer, and I don't put that into any negative light or, or no one's better than anyone else. But right. when you're born with cancer, as I was too, uh, it, it kind of puts a different spin on prevention, early detection, risk reduction, what can you do in your life. And you really have no control over anything for that matter no um but yet you beat the odds 43 years later Here uh, I am. for some reason you look younger than i do and i'm oh. 37 so god bless you well i am i am going gray though <laughs> oh i i have no hair to go gray so you, you, i'm ahead of you but i wish i had hair to go gray that'd be fantastic <laughs> But, uh, you know, our our organization is about, uh, you know, young adult cancer and the experience of living with side effects and survivorship through your teens and 20s and 30s. And you, sir, are an alumni of our community. So uh, we have a huge network of long-term childhood cancer survivors that really like uh, to know that there are people who recognize the unique needs and the challenges of growing up and I was hoping you could just start with, obviously, you were born with neuroblastoma. But what, what, what is neuroblastoma, and how did your family deal with an infant going through all these surgeries for so many years? Well, neuroblastoma is basically just a, to, to go back to a, to a child in the womb. is basically when you have um, neurological development, a, a certain group of cells will kind of take a left at Albuquerque and form their own... <laughs> form their own uh, country, so to speak, and they are, basically when I studied it in school, because I wrote many reports on it, it's just a, a, a type of cancer that can grow so much faster uh, than anything else around it, and you hope that it all stays contained in, in a little city, if you will, and um, mine, I was fortunate to, that my tumor stayed kind of the size of a lemon when I was, uh, you know, just a lemon. The size of a lemon in a and baby. And located body. located where, Brad? Located on my left lower lumbar, so right right above right, right. my hip bone, right in front of my kidney, and um, it, it's basically neurological tissue that just gets malformed, and then it has a mind of its own. It can be either 
Um, it can be metastatic, it can travel around, um, or it can stay contained. And when I, when I had my surgery and doing all my research for this and looking through all my records, um, mine, I was fortunate to have it stay together. And the doctors back then and still today, they kind of don't know how to deal with it. Do you either go in and grab this lemon and get it and get it out of there, or do you, you know, if it's growing through nerve tissue, do you cut those nerves? And that's kind of what they did with me. They got they got about 80% of it out and left 20% of it in there because it was just un, unreachable. It would do too much, too much damage, paralysis. I'm sorry, Brad, and this was all before the age of three that you went yes. through all of your surgeries, your chemo, and your radiation. So then yes. after that, so normally, you know, we were starting to walk as a toddler before that. How were you, what were you like developmentally at that early in age in terms of being able to start to walk and have mobility? Well, it's my furthest thought back when I started writing my book. I tried to sit quietly and remember how far back I can go in my mind. And I always remember having a brace on either a leg brace, a crutch, a body brace of some kind to stand on something to move around. I just saw everybody else walking, so I was like, why, why can't I? And, um, you know, my parents tried to explain it to me and explain it to me, and why, why do I have these stitches? Why am I coming back? Why do I have these, you know, these, these uh, scars? And to try to explain it. My parents did a great job with it, but I just, I just um, started leaning up on things and, and trying to drag myself around. And I did not want to be in a chair. I didn't want to be in a bed or a chair. I just remember fighting, uh, fighting my parents. You know, you were sick after this chemotherapy. You should lay down. I don't want to lay down. I want to get up. I want to walk. I want to get right. out of here. I want to get out of the hospital. So that's... Where, where, I mean, obviously this is 43 years ago. The idea of, of long-term survivorship probably didn't even exist in the mind's eye, even though... You know, I, 43 years ago, the Children's College Group wasn't even formed yet. Did, were your parents made aware of the possibility that you could have long-term developmental side effects from all this this treatment? Um, back then, this is the, basically the early 70s, um, I, I don't think they really, really were warned about it. You just did what, you know, I, when I spoke to my surgeon who actually did the surgery on me as an adult, he he told me I didn't know what else to do to you. I just wanted to get rid of it, and I didn't really realize, and, uh, you know, all the different side effects and chances and what coulda and shoulda. Uh, he just went in and got it and did it, and then the rest of it you deal with it with radiation and chemotherapy. And it's very, you know, it's the same the same footprint pathway, a medical pathway that I took. A lot of people are doing today. And it's the same thing. And you know, I've had people come up to me, how come you survived and my child didn't? He had the same presentation you did. I, you know, I don't know. They just got mine out quicker or sooner. or the, Maybe they got the right portion out and, and, and the rest of it died. I, I don't know. That's a terrible great. question to ask. Yeah, I've had some funny stuff come my way. I, just, I know. But, um, so, so talk us through your adolescence then. How, how long did it take you to, uh, were you on the crutches or were you have assisted devices for a while? Well, I, I took my leg brace off at around, I think I was around five years old, but I had to wear the scoliosis brace, the old Milwaukee brace, they call it, with the bars, goes up around your neck. and this has nothing to do with the beer, old Milwaukee. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this plastic kind of girdle thing with bars attached to it and under your clothes, and you look like Frankenstein and... Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Trying to, trying to, uh, and then off to school you go, 
uh, throw a kid on a school bus like that and then send him off to school. I mean, that's just all my parents knew how to do because you had to go to school. Right. Um, you're. I could just uh, tell you so many stories of all the. All, you know, you get made fun of. You're different. Um, you know, you're you're the you're the weird kid. You know, you sit in the back. You sit in the corner. Um, you Not know, I had a few. Yeah, right. I had a few friends that you know took care of me. You know, some people have a heart coming coming through the ranks. But so um, clearly, it seems like because you've then become a chiropractor. You're a racquetball player. You were left with scoliosis. You were very determined to come back around, not only study, but excel at the very thing that plagued you, mm-hmm. which is what I, you've done. It's, it's, were I've you very always, focused on that from the beginning? Well, I started racquetball at 10 because the, with, with a Milwaukee brace or a scoliosis brace, the, you're, you're out of all school sports. So you go to the library or sit on the bench. And my dad took me to a racquetball club and uh, was playing with my uncle, and I said, well, let me go on this other court. I want to hit a ball around. And that's how it all started. And I, I asked my dad if I could take my brace off, and he said, sure. You know, and I, I went with him every week, and all of a sudden I, I, I started to like it, and it was freeing, and I got my exercise. Nobody saw me or looked at me, and I was just kind of off in the corner uh, doing racquetball by myself and playing with my father, and and uh, I just excelled at it and started picking it up. And I had to guard myself because I couldn't let anybody hit me or push me or knock me into a wall. So I had to be protected that way. But so did it ultimately become this sort of, um, ironically, this rehabilitation for you that you had to ask permission to take the brace off, but then it seemed like you were able to excel at it? And was it sort of therapeutic also when helping your body heal? Absolutely. I, I, I did go back to the, as soon as I hit, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14, I started to grow. Uh, my scoliosis was progressing. Uh, at a, the, the angle of the scoliosis was getting worse, so the doctors were threatening surgery. You know, come see us when you're 18. And I, I told my dad and mom, I said, I, I am not going back to the hospital. I can't even go near a hospital today, barely. I don't want to go, and I don't want any surgery, and I'm going to do this sport, and I'm going to be good at it, and that's it. So did you? At what point did you realize that you you were um, skilled enough to consider going pro, or or did you work in amateur circuits in college? I played I I played um, my first tournament when I was 13 years old. Wow! I was an open level player, which is their top top level by about 19 years old. And I, if I go back and get surgery, I cannot be a racquetball player. So uh, it's either you know. Uh, Go to college, go go to rat, you know, do racquetball, and or go be a, a Harrington rod patient. And I didn't want to go do that either. So I just, I just, uh, my my father said you, my father and mother said you'd been through enough. You know, you decide if you want the surgery or not. And I, I elected not to. And so, I, I'm know. sorry. Go ahead, Brad. No, go ahead. As a chiropractor, do you see cases like you? I mean, do you treat people who I imagine you see scoliosis, but do you see anybody who? Has anything similar to what we uh, to what you went through, and how do you treat that? If so, I, I have had uh, when I worked as a uh, an under un, uh, like a student clinician kind of thing in a in a clinic uh, in my town here. I uh, I saw a couple different cases of scoliosis, uh, not as severe as mine, um, and not have coming from cancer, just not independent have coming from cancer. Right. right. There've been there've been some mild cases which can be adjusted and manipulated in the and the the, the uh, patient will grow out of it, or or you know change 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 structurally. But um, I always kept my X-ray 
um, up at the end of our view box. We had a hospital view box. <laughs> this is a kind of a funny thing. I'd keep my x-ray up at the end with the light off. And <laughs> people would come in and they'd tell me how bad they feel and what we're doing and we're trying to get better and they'd still complain. And I'd put their x-rays away and i go, well, you actually have a very you know, nice setup. Your body's in great shape. Um, very minimal problems, but click. This this guy walked in this morning, and they would be horrified seeing my <laughs> And I would lead him right down the path. I'd say, oh, yeah, this is a scoliosis patient. This is what we do, and this is you know how we take care of him. And I said, this guy walks in. He's a racquetball player. And I said, actually, it's me. And they're like, no, 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 no way. <laughs> and I have to take my shirt off and show him. And then they hug me. So so does that mean is there a stigma about scoliosis that it's like this? Completely crippling, life-altering thing, or no. I don't, I don't know much about it medically. Right. Well, I think they scare you. Um, they scare uh, the patient as soon as it's presented. You know, you get scoliosis checks when you're going through adolescence and in middle school. Well, I already had it. I already had a bad case, so I was a mess. But you know, other kids were getting it, and they would come up to me going, "Your back's crooked. What, you know, is this what I have to look forward to?" <laughs> Looking like you, and I, you know, I had a limp, and you know, a tough, tough time walking, and things like that. And it's, uh, I, I think the medical community makes a, um, uh, they try to compartmentalize everything. If you have this degree of scoliosis, you, you're going to have this, this, and this go wrong. And I'm just a perfect example. I think a classic example of how adaptive the body can be with scoliosis. Um, let alone the aftermath of cancer and all the other all the other uh, therapies I had. But uh, so you're obviously uh, very mobile. You play racquetball, but what is your your typically your gait now in terms of how you move about your mobility? And again, you obviously must be very mobile, being the racquetball champ that you are. Well, I have uh, I have a heel lift in my shoe that's about an inch and a half thick um, that keeps me even keel as far as walking so i'm not bobbing up and down or to the side or antalgic or anything like that but i do i do drag my left leg because i just don't have the neurology uh due to the due to the removal of the tumor uh so i do have a a, a funny gait i call it a steppage gait but um when i get on that racquetball court i only have to patrol a certain amount of area and i can get around i just i just do i don't know how i do people have asked me how do you do this how do you with this kind of thing going on, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I just I tell I tell my mind that there goes the ball. You got to go get it, <laughs> or, and I do. I, I just go get it, and it's just it's, it's it's something that I've just done over and over and over again, and it's just a part of. Uh, I, I get to the point where I don't even think about it. I just right. go get it, and trying to trying to do the calculations to move and twist and. And get to the ball and hit the right shot and all that stuff is. Uh, I, I, so I, it's I, just go get the ball, Brad. Yep. Like, uh-huh. like a, get the ball, Brad. <laughs> my dad used to used to say that to me. You know, you got to go get it. If it goes by you, you got to go get it. Yeah. So know? tell us about your book. Your book is called Where Does the Fight Come From? Tell us about why you wanted to write the book and address where does the fight come from? Well, I I, I used to never talk about my cancer. I would people would ask me at tournaments. What, what's going on with you? I would just say I twisted my ankle. I was, I was, I've always been sort of embarrassed by it. But once I got into chiropractic college, um, I began to study my case and study uh, scoliosis and cancer and neuroblastoma and all the different varieties and presentations. And I, I just, um, it, it hit me about two years ago. My mother gave me a box of records, and 
basically I opened up this box of records. She's like, you got you got to keep these. I said, what is this? You know, everything from your childhood, but you know, from being born, all your doctor's records. It was several boxes, and I started to go through them, and I thought, wow, what a what a great chronological um, file I have here of my life. Because being 43 years old, to try to find out what dentist you went to when you were four years yeah. old, it's almost impossible. But here I had it all in this so box. So you had it all ready to go for your book. Yeah. yeah, and I said, why not write a book? I mean, I've had several people tell me, you've got a great story, and and the racquetball community, you know, a lot of people know about me now. And, and I just started writing one day. I wrote um, most of the book at about 4 o'clock in the morning. I get up at the same time every like day. Like any good writer. Well, yeah. That, and I that, just, yeah. That's happened, and, you know. Yeah, that's terrific, Brad. We've got a wrap, um, but thank you so much for coming on the show. And again, Bradley Schmidt, he's, of course, a chiropractor. He's a racquetball champion, and his book is Where Does the Fight Come From? How I Survived Childhood Cancer. Brad, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Brad. Brad. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We can put that in the chat room there, Kenny or James. 43-year survivor. His book title? That is, that's impressive. It's like you, you can't be any longer of a survivor. Than yeah, I think if you're it'd be both with, of us added up. <laughs> yeah, <right>. 32, 43, <laughs> so for, yeah. Our, our survivorship years totaled. Plus a Kenny. <laughs> 32, plus, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, uh, let's hit the news here. Very Hello, quickly before I'm we get... Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Oh, it's so dramatic. It is. We like it that way. During this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. They're all free, and they're all just for young adults with cancer. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet-ups, support groups, and more. If you have something coming up that you would like us to spread the word about during this part of the show, please send us an email to info at stupidcancer.com. That's info at stupidcancer.com. Okay, everybody, head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we don't want you missing out. Kenny Kane, what's coming up? A couple of cool events coming up. Saturday in Seattle, we have a meetup. Uh, April 25th, we have a meetup in Ohio. And honorable mention, May 19th, Drumstrong in North Carolina. Fantastic. All right, the Stupid Cancer Forums have over 2,500 active members every day. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com and sign up with one click through Facebook. Team Stupid Cancer has five slots left for the 2012 ING New York City Marathon. Hey, this is just like Kathy on the Big C. She ran the Minneapolis Marathon, though. Big cliffhanger to last season. But this is the New York City Marathon. This is our first time in the New York City Marathon. Don't miss your chance to be a part of our inauguration into this prestigious race. Email info at stupidcancer.com for more details. And finally, it's time to start the drumbeat for the sixth Count its sixth annual Stupid Cancer Ungala being held right here in New York City on June 7th at the Taj Lounge in Chelsea. $75 open bar, $25 cash bar. Attention, Tri-State area, come on, come on for our epic club night of dancing raffles and the raw power of the Stupid Cancer movement. Visit stupidcancerungala.com today. And that is your Stupid, Stupid Cancer, Cancer News. All right, time for our very special guest. Matthew, would you like to do the honors with Darlene? Returning champion Darlene Hunt is the creator of the hit series The Big C. 
The woman who first thought, hey, how about a comedy about a suburban wife and mother with stage four melanoma? As a comedian, Darlene has been featured at the Chicago Comedy Festival and the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen. She's performed as a member of the Groundlings Theater in Los Angeles and studied with Second City in Chicago. My old job. As an actress, she's co-starred in the short-lived sitcom Help Me Help You with Ted Danson and in the films I Heart Huckabees, A Lot Like Love, and Idiocracy, one of my favorite Mike Judge movies in the history of ever. <laughs> Having written TV pilots since 2001, the Louisville native finally struck gold with The Big C, which originally debuted in August 2010 on Showtime. Lisa. All right, and Laura Linney won a 2010 Golden Globe Award for her portrayal of Kathy Jameson on the hit series The Big C, which kicked off season three last night on Showtime. You can find it anywhere. Hulu, I, Hulu, iTunes, on their website. As a woman whose cancer diagnosis causes her to ditch her reserved ways and live life to the fullest, the New York Times wrote that Linny, quote, rarely sounds a false note. I'll second that. A three-time Emmy winner, her television work also includes the HBO miniseries John Adams, Showtime's Wild Iris, and PBS's Tales from the City, along with its follow-up. Film credits are numerous and include, we've got to name some of them, The Savages, Love Actually, Mystic River, Kinsey, You Can Count on Me, Love That Film, and have garnered her three Oscar nominations and on Broadway as if she weren't talented enough. She does everything. She kind of, wow. Okay, she's appeared in The Crucible, opposite Liam Neeson and Sight Unseen, among many others. She's a native New Yorker, a Juilliard grad, and happens to be the daughter of a former Sloan Kettering nurse. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Darlene Hunt and Laura Linney. Hello. hello. Welcome. Both of you are thrilled <laughs> to have you both on the show. Hello, hello, hello. Wow. Thank and what, you. What a great show last night's season three premiere was. Fabulous. And I'm struck by, first of all, Paul's not dead. That's a very good thing. Um, and it, it sh- the show opens, uh, Laura, in wonderful fashion with you smoking and drinking in a bar. Yes. <laughs> and and I think what, what I love, too, is another reminder of, you know, you're a stage four melanoma patient but Mm -hmm. your character is also so much as if that weren't enough so much of a caregiver with all that's often going on with the quirky characters who are often in crisis on the show at a point in your life where you think oh could you take on anything more here your husband now has a has a a heart attack and you're so often thrown back into that role that character of being caregiver sure how do you think that's infused do you think the cancer is 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 part of that strength for her or how, how do you see that well, I, I think in some ways it's, you know, <laughs> it's one of the things about cancer is it just, it randomly, it, it doesn't go for the most convenient person, <laughs> you know, most of the time, right. at least from what I've seen. It's not convenient for anybody, and I think it just heightens everything around, you know, for her it heightens, you know, her whole life around her, you know, everyone, it's interesting how cancer will change the dynamic of every relationship that someone has. And I think Darlene and our writing team does a, a really beautiful job of, of, of highlighting that. So, yeah, things, things do not ease up for Kathy Jameson, that's <laughs> for sure. Darlene, a quick shout-out. Um, I missed uh, seeing you at the Sandra Buffington Hollywood Health and Society event. And, um, but I understand you might have – I think you might have met our, my, my colleague Stacey Owens there very briefly. Um, I was really happy to, to, to hear that you were on that panel. I heard it went very well, and I watched the YouTube video, so uh, kudos for that. Oh, good deal! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was a really uh, fun special night. I think I got more out of it than I gave, but it was uh, it was very cool to be there. I, I mean, that that sort of opens up my question: the the role of Hollywood in uh, or, or Hollywood talent in terms of screenwriters and, and doctors and cops and, and detectives in helping to build authenticity into 
uh, shows like these. We uh, we worked with um, Will Reiser, the screenwriter and cancer survivor from the movie Fifty Fifty that won all the awards last year. Um, oh. And uh, he, he's become a friend of the show, and he was at our recent patient conference. He talked about how he tried to build a script that was based on reality, but they were kind of afraid. He and his team, Evan Goldberg and Seth uh, Rogen, they were kind of afraid to approach the experts or the cancer organizations to help them build authenticity because they were afraid that they'd be, like, shunned or made fun of, and they just avoided it. It just was a happy accident that what he decided to do to fictionalize the story resonated. Uh, what steps have you guys gone through to understand uh, the value of authenticity or, or not to make some of the other mistakes some other shows have made? Um, yes, that is our, always our goal, to be better than other shows. <laughs> um, I'm glad that's out in the open. Mistakes. No, All you know what? Shows. It's... Um, I mean, from the beginning, uh, when I was writing the pilot, I consulted a, a doctor friend, and then sort of, you know, then we consult various uh, uh, people as we go along, and kind of, uh, sort of, um, almost on a on a need to know basis. Once we're kind of playing with storylines, and we're like, oh, okay, now we're we, we've uh, we've come uh, we've ran out of all of our cancer information. We need an expert to uh, to to help us out. Would would somebody do this treatment, would it help, what would it look like? Um, you know, that that panel that you speak of, there was a doctor on that panel that I didn't realize was going to be there, and he is one of our consultants that we call regularly um, for advice, and he's the melanoma specialist uh, here in L.A. And um, I didn't realize, I had never met him in person, only on the phone, so it was really fun to, uh, to have him there. And uh, i got to say, when you're reaching out to find out medical information that you, you need you know, true medical information to work inside of a, of a. Um, oh my God, I'm a much better writer than a speaker. I can tell you that. But, <laughs> You're doing uh, good, Charlie. You're doing good. You know, a fictional. <laughs> but when you're writing a fictional series, you know, you you need to combine those facts. But what I've discovered is the doctor has been very helpful because he's always like, look, I mean, we're still kind of in the early stages of of cancer research and. And things go a lot of different ways. So I guess what I'm saying is when, when we're trying to find um, the truth uh, in the, the medical piece of what we're writing, there are so many truths um, that we have a lot of areas to explore and a lot of ways to go. Yeah, go ahead. No, sorry, darling, keep going. No, no, please. I think Laura was joking. <laughs> we're, 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 for, the, for the listening audience, we're on opposite coasts right now. Darlene's in L.A. and I'm in New York, so we're listening to each other intently on the phone, not wanting to, to jump all over each other. Um, but one of the things that's been, that's been that I'm so proud of with our show and with particularly our writer's room and, and a lot of the actors on the show is that everyone has a direct relationship to cancer in some way or another whether someone's a cancer survivor, whether someone is a caregiver or um, has a parent who is struggling with cancer. or So a lot of the, not only is our medical research um, accurate, but then also the storylines that reflecting what people deal with on a day-to-day basis when they have cancer, most, most of the storylines come from some place of authenticity with someone on the staff. Well, let's pick up on that, Laura, because actually, didn't you, your father died last year of lung cancer, is that correct, the playwright? He did. Ronnie he did. Lini, yes. And so, how surreal or not was that for you to sort of live parallel lives of this show, which so delicately balances humor with cancer, and then what you were going through with your own life and your dad? Well, it's, um, 
you know, <laughs> it just goes to show that cancer is never far away from anybody, yeah. um, regardless of who you are. So there was that, and then it was just, you know, I was a person, you know, and, and still am, you know, dealing with the loss of a parent. Um, so I didn't really stop to think too much about how it was mirroring my experience. I was more focused on him, to be honest with you. Um, so, you know, but I went through what everybody goes through when they when they lose a parent, and particularly with cancer, which can be fierce and vicious and fast and, and leaves your head spinning. I think so it was, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think there was one scene, well, there's a lot of scenes that I think are dream scenes for patients or anybody who knows a cancer patient. I'm thinking the one in particular that actually moved me very much from last season where Kathy gives that speech to, is brought into that medical student class with Alan Ald as a guest star, and you say, uh, you know, spend time with us, remember yeah. our names, hold our hand, don't let go, don't t- and don't tell us how we should feel. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's something that's very real and, and possibly, I think all of us, I don't know if it was a situation you dealt with with your dad, but certainly that comes from a place that all of us can relate to. Oh, sure. And, and the one thing, you know, going through that experience with my father and with various other friends of mine who have, you know, who have lost their life way, way too early, um, whether it's cancer or any other life-threatening disease, is, you know, you, you go into those situations where the stakes are so high and you're so vulnerable and you're so scared <laughs> and the stress is so enormous that the craziness that ensues, the strange behavior that you witness, the strange behavior that comes from you, deep within you, that you don't know is in there <laughs> when confronted, it's a recipe for you know, extreme behavior all over the place, whether it comes from the medical um, professionals or from the patients or the caregivers. So it was, um, it's a very intense time, whether it's, you know, for anybody going through it. Of course, another dream scene is Paul walking into the insurance company and calling out the woman who, you know, first approves and then doesn't approve the, the payment as well. Talk about yeah, that, extreme. Yeah. No, I, I love that whole, that whole <laughs> sequence because, you know, everybody, you know, I think wants to strangle an insurance person at one point. <laughs> you know who I think yeah, is we, really we were excited out. to get. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Donna, go ahead. I was just saying we were excited to get to that scene because we knew we were going there from the, um, that's in the finale of the second season. And we, we knew from the beginning of that season we were going to, we were going to uh, get him to that place um, and really kind of, uh, you know, just tear down the, the insurance company who had been frustrating him all season. Um, so we'd kind of played that in through the season with various phone calls and things he was he was dealing with, because certainly um, people are, who are dealing with a long-term illness, you will you will hear that topic brought up frequently about trying to deal with the with insurance, and, and we definitely wanted to play that out. Yeah, every person in this country needs to see that that scene if they haven't already, because it is every it is the one scene undoubtedly in which every single human being will rally around. Well, I think he was channeling Michael Douglas from falling down. <laughs> And my my question to both of you is is um, I think the person who gets the worst bum rap in Hollywood is Deborah Winger, <laughs> because everyone terms refers to Terms of Endearment as the de facto worst cancer movie in history, uh, because it it just I think it I mean it it spoke for its time, but that cancer is. But those among the cancer community, probably. Yeah. Not everyone like, in general. Know, but I mean, it was an amazing yeah, movie. Yeah, I was like, why? Why is it? I, <laughs> right. I didn't know this. Right. We... But, I mean, it's because, I mean, by today's standards, it's so heart-wrenching and heart-tugging, and most people don't die that way anymore. And it's it's kind of, you know, it, I think it's just a sign of we, we feel this way about it because there's been so much progress. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, as as can- I'm a cancer survivor. Uh, Lisa's a cancer survivor, 16 years each. And, we, you know, we've been working in advocacy for many, many years now, and we've seen this trend. I, I, I want to hear your, your thoughts on this trend. Cancer is now mainstream, you know, w- with movies like uh, like 50-50s winning all these public accolades and your show, which is winning all these public accolades. Is the public ready to treat cancer, which is always going to be an incredibly serious issue, with levity and humor to make light of it but appreciate it and recognize that we're all in this together? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I will say that I think it does sort of um, speak to the times and, and that movie maybe sort of represented, um, you know, the the sort of when people, someone had cancer, the sort of the dire, um, you know, the, why, why people whispered that information and, and that diagnosis seemed so dire. And, and now, um, you know, the comedies are kind of speaking to like, hey, it doesn't necessarily uh, mean it's a death sentence. And additionally to that, hey, look around. You're going to find a buddy or somebody else who is going to has has experienced this in some way. So let's let's talk about it. Let's um, let's communicate it, about it. But you know, I do have a little bit of a, a personal soapbox box issue um, about this whole thing. And and while I think the subject of cancer is less taboo than it was, I think the subject of death is still taboo. And, uh, I, you know, my goal for our show is that we kind of explore explore that as well and explore that, um, you know, that, that uh, you know, this person is not necessarily dying of cancer but living with cancer, but also exploring the reality. And, th- and that's why we had Paul have a heart attack, that um, it will come to us all and, and there will be an end. And uh, to be able to talk about death and to talk to our children about it and to communicate about it without this uh without this horror um it, i think is an important issue too so so balancing those two things um i don't know it's really an interesting subject matter and i, I hope we get to kind of um uh tackle it all in our show I think it's funny. You even even the Thanksgiving turkey goes through a bloodbath with Laura's character. <laughs> <laughs> Darlene did such a fantastic job with that episode. I love that episode. And and echoing what Darlene was saying is not only about death, but then also it bridges into just the the whole uh, question of time and how much we have and how do we respect it and what do we do with it, regardless if we have two weeks or fifty years. Um, and 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 also, I think people have just been fighting cancer now longer. <laughs> yeah. So voices have just gotten voices have found each other. Communities have formed. Experiences have been unified and shared. And with that, just becomes comes awareness. Right. Um, and also, and also, I think there's something parallel with AIDS in some way. You know, AIDS AIDS was so vicious and mm-hmm. so horrible that it. it it made people less afraid to speak of cancer. Um, I think there's something there's something to that. I think that's a good point. And with both scenarios now, it's also what does survivorship look like? What happens yes. when the result is you don't die? That's right. And and, and not only you, but your fa- the your entire family, your friends and family. Well, that's the issue of caregivers, the, the forgotten yeah. people in the conversation. Yeah, I, I find that people who I encounter on the street, I don't know, Darlene, if you if you share this, but the people have been incredibly kind um, 
and encouraging to to me about the show. The people who are the most emotional when I when I meet them are the caregivers. Um, yeah. Usually, the person who who is who is dealing with cancer is is a little more um, uh, precise in their language and and alert and um, and very generous in there. And it's the caregiver who tends to get very emotional around around me. Um, and I think that I think that says a lot. Interesting. I think it probably is a good release and an outlet for them to caregivers so often have to be so buttoned up or feel that they have to yeah. be obviously around the patient and where's their catharsis and their release and I think shows shows like this serve a great purpose for that as well. We hope so. Yeah. Have you been reached out to by any melanoma organizations out there? Uh you know, um I, go ahead, darling. Yeah, have you Laura? I, I was gonna say a lot of that kind of gets uh I think goes through our network, um, mm-hmm. and I think maybe they have some sort of links through their website. So um, I, other than that, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, the only reason I ask is because we just had our, our, our huge annual patient conference with like 550, 20, 30-somethings in Vegas for three days. You can only imagine what kind of cancer party <laughs> that was. But. But one of our Where work- did you go? Where, what was the entertainment? Where did you go? Oh, oh we are I want to know more about that. Oh, yeah. oh uh, well, you're in New York. I'll meet you tonight at the <laughs> Cafe Something. Um, uh, we we uh, every year we host a conference called the OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults. Uh, this was our fifth annual, and it was a three-day sort of um, Burning Man, if you would, metaphor <laughs> uh, of young adult patients and survivors and caregivers and 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 providers and doctors and nurses who just come. For you know, it's kind of like college. You go to college to to grow up, but if you learn, that's pretty cool too. It was really one of those educational but social fun experiences, and and um, we and we have we have it in Las Vegas of all places because we like to pick the most toxic city in America, <laughs> which to bring 500 cancer survivors. Well, there's, there's, there's legal prostitution, gambling, smoking, open bar. <laughs> And just debauchery all around. <laughs> yeah, so there are options. There are yeah, options there, yeah. in many yeah. in every direction. But right. one of one of the <laughs> seminars we do a survey every year for those people from last year's uh, conference really wanted us to do something about knowing your skin, tanning and lotions Big and, topic. and melanoma. Huge topic. Yeah. The most popular uh, attended session uh, this year. We work with a couple of melanoma groups. One's called AIM at Melanoma, the Melanoma Research Foundation, and Spot a Spot. And uh, they're really amazing organizations. I, I just the idea of melanoma as a talking point in the mainstream mm-hmm. media on a hit show like this is really I think it could shed light on something that's quote unquote not breast cancer, if you would. And it, I, not I that just, there's anything wrong with breast not cancer. Not that there's anything wrong with breast yeah, we're, cancer. We're, we're trying to get the focus away from breast cancer <laughs> and really. <laughs> no, but I can't we, say wanna, we want melanoma to win. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, I just want to opine, if I may, from my soapbox, that it's quite refreshing that it's not breast cancer. May I thank you for that? Well, uh, I, this is where the dark comedy gets dangerous. Right. Um, but yeah, you did, to be honest, it, it, there is sort of a darker reason that uh, that I chose melanoma. And, and again, I, thank God for Facebook. I was going back and forth with a friend of mine from college who had become a doctor, and she was giving me, um, you know, sort of the the Cliff's Notes versions of various cancer. And uh, um, I want to read those. I want to read the Cliff Notes <laughs> versions of cancer. <laughs> well, what I discovered because there has been such amazing research and and. In breast cancer and early detection and all this, that that it was, you know, it's pretty survivable. And and that and I had to be careful my words, but um, but melanoma was a little more in its infancy only three years ago, and um, 
you know, and and the treatments were still new, and uh, and it was just kind of scarier. And quite frankly, that's where I wanted to start this, um, uh, you know, Laura's character from from a place of like, holy crap, this I may not survive this. To to truly truly be faced with her mortality and not just be faced with a a fight through a disease. Um, so anyway, there you go. Yeah, and as Matt mentioned, particularly for our demographic that we reach of young adults, melanoma is so... It's, it's, it's the it's, number one cancer in young adults. It's the number one cancer, yeah. but it's still surprising to me how many people don't realize that it can be fatal. A lot of people think, oh, skin cancer, you have it lanced and you're good to go. Um, and but, Right, and, if you, and, and that can be. I mean, that's the thing. My dermatologist, right. whom I see every three weeks, that's right. Um, wow. He's like, it's on the skin. If you, if you get these sort of pre-moles off, uh, before they become melanoma, then you're good. But I mean, look, it's it's a hard thing, and and to to keep up with, with that, and we're just sort of figuring it all out. And um, but um, but yeah, you gotta you gotta you got it's like everything. You gotta catch it early. Yeah, yeah, I tell I tell my friends, and when I whenever I'm I'm somewhere speaking, to to give yourself permission to stare at the people you love, (laughs) to really stare at their arms, the back of their legs, their, you know, and if you see anything at all, like, don't be embarrassed to point it out and say, what is that? And whether it's just an ugly thing that's grown there or whether it's something that needs to be checked out by a doctor, it's it's worth worth being... uh, You're leering Laura. Right, That's right. That's so I just stare at people now. Lurid peepers peepers rejoice. Right, That's right. You know, one one of my best friends who I've known since first grade is is the leading dermatologist at NYU here in the city, and uh, we've had her on our show. We've done shows on melanoma again because it is a very uh, a highly, uh, I'll just say, disastrous diagnosis for most young adults. Most doctors, when you go to them, say, "Oh, you're too young for this. Come back later." So that's kind of like why it's a big deal. Um, yeah, yeah. I just want to get a little education into this show right now because there are five steps to understanding what could possibly be melanoma on your skin. She'll be very proud of me for doing this. If you'll give me 25 seconds. Uh, Go. A, it's the A, B, C, D, and E's of melanoma. A is asymmetry, so look for it being not obviously circular. B is borders, where it doesn't have an even border. C is the color, if it's not quite skin-colored. D is the diameter, if it's wider than a pencil eraser. And E, does it change over time? Does it evolve over time? A, B, C, D, E, less than over, kids. That's it. It's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. We try. We try to teach at some point. <laughs> Very good. No, no, See, I'm going to I'm going to butt in and say it's almost better to just go to your dermatologist. Yeah. Like make the appointment early because quite frankly, he takes things off of me that I like look like a pinprick that I wouldn't have even <laughs> noticed. So, um so might as well just get in there and have a professional look at it. Yeah. Laura, do you one of the things anytime I mention your name and I've actually interviewed you once before for 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 John Adams as well in in my other life. <laughs> um but you're so I think what you bring to this role is you're so infinitely relatable. I mean, you're an actress you cross, you know, you're on stage, you're on the big screen, you're on television, but you're you seem to me like that kind of actress almost more than anybody else where people really feel like they know you. Anytime I mention your name it's like, "Oh, she seems like such they say, "Oh, she seems like such a nice person." She seems like such a nice person. I don't think so. I know, right? I mean, maybe a little bit of an But do you get that a lot and I feel like with this role in particular which is so human and so real and dealing with so many real issues. Um, in terms of people coming up to you, are you really able to, I mean, God forbid they say, oh, do you really have cancer? But, you know, it, it really to embody this in such a relatable way, 
I applaud that, and I think that, you know, is that is that something that you feel in the response that you've gotten? No, well, first of all, thank you. That's very nice. Um, you know, most, I find that most people have I'm, – I'm, I'm very fortunate because I'm um, – I'm not overly famous. Do you know what I mean? But at the same time, people are, um, you know, really kind and nice. People come up to me and they're very, it's very easy. It's not terribly scary. It's not strange. It's not, you know, people have been, um, um, you know, very gracious and encouraging. And, uh, you know, if I'm a way to let people into a story, then that's, then I'm doing my job well. You know, if I, if I can, you know, sort of take an audience's hand and, and get them into a story so that they either lose themselves or I, I continue to, to move them along the narrative, then that's, then that's great. That's James, our intern here, has a sure. question for you. James? Laura, one of my favorite characters that you've played is Marion Singleton in Tales of the City. Would love to know if that's ever going to come back on air, but do you bring your characters that you've played in the past to these roles that you're now uh, incorporating? Um, well, hey, well, hey, James, and where are you from? <laughs> Nashville, originally. You're from Nashville, fantastic. Um, uh, I couldn't thank you, tell. Thank you for <laughs> about tales. It's one of my favorite jobs ever, and it was sort of a job, a real pivotal job for me because it it changed my life in many ways. Not only just for um, just having a great job like that, but the people who I met on that show are still um, some of my most treasured friends. I'm sure. So it you was went to a, Amistad's wedding, correct? Yes, and he yeah. was certainly at mine, and. Um, He's a magical, magical human being. <laughs> he really is. Um, and as far as bringing, I, I tend to sort of let them stay where they are once I'm done with them. Um, you know, and the trick is to is to differentiate them from each other because you don't want to play the same thing over and over again. And um, and you hope that that you're exposing. You know, if you play the same thing within a different story, you're sort of cheating the story out of out of its inherent potency. So so I try and shed the skin of them and, and, and grow another one every time I, I do something. Uh, I, I had the the pleasure, and it was actually it was an amazing, sad experience, but tragically awesome. I saw Cynthia Nixon in, in Wit. Oh, yes. And yes. Um, I saw how it opening great, How weekend. great was she? Who <laughs> guest starred on, on The Big Who, well, Who's I, right? that, yeah. I was approaching my tie-in <laughs> at some point there, but the... The idea, first of all, of her character uh, being a cancer survivor, but her human being <laughs> being a cancer survivor. Yes. Uh, did you find it difficult to ask her to come on the show, and 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 or was she like, is, is she wearing this proudly, and and was ha- and and she her character really wasn't even dealing with cancer. No, I mean, I I wanted Cynthia on the show just because she's just one of the best actresses I know, um, and I also love her as a human being. Um, the fact that her life intersects with, um, you know, with cancer is, um, was just, was, you know, was nothing that we had planned. It certainly, she wasn't asked because of that. Um, but it certainly, of course, does bring a, a, a different insight into, into the world of cancer. And I, I, I remember her speaking about how people would respond to her when she would tell them that she had cancer. Um, there's that you know how people then make it all about them and not about the person who is that what she felt that they said yeah well i th- i think she i don't think that happened with a lot of people but i think yeah. you, i think if someone has cancer and they when they start telling people or and who they start telling um you know there're many different reactions and you i think some of them take can clearly can take people off guard 
right, you know, right. I always felt um, in the room, I felt very kind of protective of that character of not wanting her to go too too broad or too arch in her reaction to her, um, you know, to her best friend's uh, news of her cancer. And then um, last year, my sister-in-law uh, got breast cancer, had a double mastectomy, the whole thing. And um, she told me, she she really, I mean, the, the cast sent her really sweet iPhone videos and uh, huh. and she was such a, a fan of the show and, and really um, just sort of appreciated it, that it was there for her, which made me feel great. But she told me stories about uh, how one of her, um, we'll call her a somewhat narcissistic friend, reacted um, to her news. And I was like, oh, no, we didn't go far enough with Rebecca. <laughs> Uh, because it was pretty intense the uh, the stories of of how this person kind of kind of turned it around and and somehow sort of made her her support uh of my sister kind of all about her in some ways and um how she kind of used that news to uh, to kind of talk about her own life it was really fascinating and interesting and it made me made me proud that we had taken that character there to hopefully give some people some relatable laughs uh, but it did make me think we should have gone further. <laughs> Interesting. We, we, you know, we have to actually applaud you too in your humor and irreverency. We try to come up with words like chemotastic or cancerversary, and I know that there's one that jumped out at me. I thought, oh, we, I wish we would have thought of that cancierge that Paul says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. That's uh, Jenny Bix, who's our showrunner. She uh, and, and a cancer survivor. She, uh, as far as I know, know that's uh, that's officially hers. She coined that. I think it's. I love brilliant. that word. We try to make yeah. up as many ridiculous neologisms as possible. <laughs> so can you tease us before we go, actually, can you can you tease us a bit as to what's to come? Uh, each of you give a little tidbit as to season the rest of season three. Oh, I'm gonna, Everybody I'm going to give I'm going to give Darlene the honors on that one. <laughs> oh, come on. I was going to shoot it to you. No, <laughs> my friend. It, it comes you know, from I'll, you. I'll, I will tell you that um, Susan Sarandon uh, guest stars, and so she uh, she and Kathy will will cross paths very soon, and and I think she also provides a really just interesting character and a really an, an interesting point of view um, that I think uh, the two of them um, uh, the two of them together are pretty pretty amazing to watch on screen, and and so hopefully uh, people will enjoy watching watching that journey together. You've had tremendous guest stars come in on the show. It, yeah, but it, not me. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> there's still time. Save it. <laughs> if, if you ever want two old cancer survivors to feign method acting on chemo, we're we're there for you. Well, and you also you never know what Kathy will do. She might end up like you know joining a radio station or something. So. Ah, yeah, there you go. Fine. Excellent, excellent. Um, Laura, actually, we do, we do have to ask you this, and I know you've talked about this many times, um, but the fact that your mom uh, was a nurse, correct, as yes. well as here yes. in New York. Yes. When? So, what years? She, well, I'm not sure when she started. My my whole my earliest memories are of her coming home. She worked a 12-hour shift at Sloan Kettering. Um, I grew up in that neighborhood. Um, we uh, my, I was raised by my mother, and um, you know I was very aware of cancer from a very early age. Aware, and I would know her patients. She was a private duty nurse, so she would become very close to her patients, and and over time I would end up meeting them as well, and. So I spent a lot of time there as a kid, actually, wow. and um, and I learned, you know, early on about uh, about a lot of stuff <laughs> with with that whole world, you know, the and how how delicate and vulnerable and um, 
raw people are during that period of time and how important a really good caregiver can be. I mean, I, I was so, you know, I'm so proud of my mother for the time that she, that she sacrificed and gave to, uh, to Sloan Kettering and, and all of those nurses who were there. Um, there were a bunch of us children of, um, of nurses who would hang out together and, and it was a, it was a very sort of many lessons that I, that I was able to, to pick up on from that. But yeah, she was there in the sixties. So I think probably 65 to 69, roughly, I'm guessing. Okay. A little bit yeah. before our time. is During, the, during the Mad Men era. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Nurses, yeah. We have nurses on the show frequently, too, and, and there's a lot of nurse navigators that actually help you beyond the medical stuff navigate what your next steps are, particularly with cancer, which is great. But they are really yeah. often, too often, the unsung heroes oh, I mean, absolutely. I, uh, of the medical community. Absolutely. When, and they can help you navigate the doctors. When the doctors correct. fly in and fly out of the room with their team of interns or their team of people, and they're on a tight schedule, and they have a lot to do, and they breathe in and they breathe that. out. And you're so, you're so terrified when they're speaking that you don't remember anything they say. I was, you know, on a call, I was literally on a call with a nurse an hour ago, and she said exactly yeah. those words, that the nurse yeah. sees you all day because the doctor only sees you for 15 minutes. Right. That's right. You know, and, and you know, it's just the, the, the function of, of, of heavy caseloads. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, it is personality, but sometimes right. it's also they're doing the best they can, and they just have rounds, and that's just the way that it is. But it's, you're, you know, everyone's, um, you know, it's important just to take a lot of notes in that situation. You know, just so, write it all down. Absolutely. So three cheers to Laura's mom. Yay! Ann <laughs> Yay, Ann Purse. Hooray for Ann Purse. Hooray! You get the. <laughs> Yay! Thank you. That's what she deserves. Well done. There you go. Nothing like a soundboard. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been tremendous having you both on the show. Uh, so great to talk to you both. We really appreciate your being here again. The Big C. The premiere was last night. I believe it rebroadcast tonight at 10:30 East Coast and West Coast Time, and also check it out on iTunes or Hulu or any place else you can find the show. It's just a, a terrific, truthful. And, Laura, I'll meet you at that Starbucks <laughs> on that corner later. Fantastic. Come to Vegas next year with right. us. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. Our event in it Vegas. Be, it would be it's, epic. It's, it's terrific. Yeah, darling, you can't miss it next year. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> Hello, darling. Hi there. <laughs> Hi there, Darlene. Thank you guys so much. Thank returning you, thank champion, you. Darlene, and soon-to-be returning champion, Laura Lenny. Laura Lenny, thank you so much. You guys, take care. Hi, guys. Thank you. Thanks for everything. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. They're rock stars. Epic, epic, epic. Epic rock star guest. Super, super show. Darlene Hunt and Laura Lenny, the big C. Yeah. What a great show it what is. What was that called? Uh, Cancierge? Cancierge. I love it. I yeah. love it. Okay, her husband, Paul, played by Oliver Platt, who's just yes. so wonderful on yes. the show. And she thanks him for being such a great caregiver. And he says, I'm your concierge. Nice. And it made me think, oh, I wish we thought of that. That's one of our, like, chemotastic <laughs> I know. words that we make we up. We may have to steal that. We'll register the domain. Yeah, concierge. Add that to the arsenal. Hmm. Dum, yeah. dum, 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 dum. Yeah. And All right. Well, uh, we will be back next Monday. We'll do our closing sequence in a second at our regularly scheduled time of 8 p.m. That's right. AM. But thank you all for listening our uh, this will be largely a podcasted audience because we uh we are at three o'clock in the afternoon on a weekday right so but please share this uh show with your friends and colleagues if you like the show if you like big c um oh i know i forgot to ask them this but the irony of calling it the big c when we're like publicly wearing our cancer on our sleeves these days that's what we used to call it 30 years ago like the c word when it was a hushed up c. right the c word right yeah exactly the big c but anyway, really now great we show. Now we wear it proudly. Really great show. 
All right, and now it's time for our closing sequence. Here we go. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, everybody, that is tonight's show, our 219th broadcast this afternoon's show, actually. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. And poke a stick we did. We'd like to thank our on-air and in-studio guests, Mr. Kenny Kane, Reverend Dr. James Manning, Tim and Bobby of the Backyard Heroes in the chat, live on the couch there, Brad Schmidt, and the lovely and wonderful Darlene Hunt and Laura Linney. All right, everybody, join us next week when we'll be talking about young adult standards of care with Rebecca Johnson. She's the medical director of adolescent and young adult programs at the Seattle Children's Hospital. And Dr. Peter Kochia, he's the section chief in the Division of Hematology Oncology at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Kicking it off in our spotlight, Michelle Goodwin, two-time young adult survivor of non-Hodgkin lymphoma and the creator of Malignant Humor. Find out what that's all about next week. If you've missed any of our past shows, all 218 of them, Jesus Christ, download them all for free on iTunes anytime at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhard and myself and our whole team here at Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week. We'll see you back here next week at 8 p.m. Bye-bye, everybody.